Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. All right, team, you know I love a good survey. Raise your hand if you like to bake. Get the oven out. Wow, that's a strong contingent. Raise your hand if you like to eat baked goods. That's my team. That's what I'm talking about. And baking's kind of wonderful because here's the thing. If you take the raw ingredients and you just follow the recipe, it kind of turns out exactly like that. Cupcakes, banana bread, cookies, all the things. If you put the right stuff in, it will come out a certain way. And is this way, and James is showing us this, that at the end of verse 18 last week, he talked about the word of truth. And the word of truth is James's word for the gospel. And he's saying, much like baking, the gospel actually works. That if you trust that gospel, if you put your hope and your faith in the word of truth of Jesus, it will actually change your life, save you, and change you right now. That God's gospel actually produces God's character in your life. And he addresses right here a noticeable change in our conversations, that our speech, the way we relate to each other, would be changed by the gospel. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And James is going to work this on two levels. But the first level is this, that if Jesus can save you from hell, surely salvation can have an effect right now. And James is very clear. He says, know this, know this church. Who should know? It says every person should know in order not to be deceived. As verse 16 said, you need to know these things. The opposite of being deceived is to know the truth. And the truth is that every person, everyone who follows Jesus should act like this because the gospel actually changes People, there should be a noticeable change in how you do relationships because our character starts to become Jesus's character because Jesus comes and takes up residence within us and he starts to flow out of us. And they take this example of Jesus's speech and you might think, okay, those are three good tips to to move up at work or, or something like that. But when you look at them, you notice that's how Jesus spoke with people. Yes, Jesus preached big sermons where he used lots of words. But when you look in the gospel, usually it's Jesus listening to people who come to him, asking thoughtful questions. He's quick to listen. He's slow to speak. And we see Jesus is the one who's slow to anger, even though, or slow to speak, even though he knows everything and has everything to say to us. See, it's Jesus being slow to anger just as God's character is described throughout the Bible. In Exodus 34, a famous passage, it says this about our Lord. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It doesn't mean that God and Jesus is never angry or that all anger is bad, but we do see Jesus has a righteous anger and harsh words for who? Who does he have harsh words, harsh parables, righteous anger for over and over? It's three groups of people, 
prideful, worldly people, people who don't think they need Jesus. He has harsh words for religious hypocrites. He has harsh words for those who abuse the poor and the marginalized. And it's not a coincidence that's where this passage today ends. That the tie between how we do relationships and how it ends with other people is a strong one. But before we go there, I want to stop and just talk here, church. And I want to talk about relationships for a moment. Because, hey, it's wedding season in Alabama. There's a wedding just about every weekend that there's not a big Alabama or Auburn game. And so marriage is on the mind of a lot of people, whether you're married or not. And this is a great passage to think about. If you're married, I guarantee you will improve your marriage absolutely today if you're quicker to hear and ask questions of your spouse. If you're slower to speak, putting the importance on the other person in the marriage. If you just steadfastly refuse to let personal anger, personal wrath, personal annoyance at the other person be your default at home. If you just say, that's not the way we're going to put this to death, your marriage will immediately improve. And I don't want you to worry about your spouse right now. Don't rib them or rib her. This is time to let scripture kind of rib you instead, because your fast, angry words can unravel a whole lot of trust in a very little amount of time. Your failure to listen and talk instead can flatten your spouse and kill all the beauty that God wants you to enjoy as different people conversing on things that matter. Your conversation should be a strong point in your day that you are gladly looking forward to to make your marriage stronger and stronger the more you communicate. Not a pain point that makes you weaker. You ever wonder when you see an older marriage and they kind of don't talk at all and, and, and that's not like in the good way of like comfortable in silence, it's in the bad way that there's just, they seem like there's nothing to talk about? Well, there's always plenty to talk about. But at some point, someone stopped listening in the marriage. And so the other person stopped caring. That doesn't have to be you. Your joy can be in having conversations that look like this, engage and go deeper and deeper and deeper. And now a word to the dating or those who hope to be dating. If conversations are easy with that person, it's a great sign. You want to be able to talk to the person you're dating and maybe married. Hello, that's a huge win. And remember the rubric to dating for marriage looks like this. How do you know if you should continue dating this person? How do you know if you should marry this person? Well, first, you need to be attracted to them in three ways. And it's like this. First way is, are you attracted to them spiritually? Are you attracted to them in personality? Are you attracted to them physically? And then weight them, rank them like this. If, following, if, they, if, they, if them following Jesus makes you want to follow Jesus, that's an incredible sign. It's the most important thing for a fellow believer. The second thing is your personality. Do you like being with them? Can you have conversations? Do you feel growing and edifying? Do you feel like y'all can really converse? That's number two. And three, your physical attraction does matter, but it just needs to be ranked third. It will be the first thing to go as we age and age and age. Our, beauty, our idea of beauty will probably change and you'll still find your, your spouse very attractive, but you need to rank it that way. And conversations are key. If you can't converse, you can't be a team. If you can't converse, 
You can't be a team. And if you can't be a team, every problem in your life will become an emergency. And life is full of problems. And God's vision for your marriage is that you can talk, you can be a team, and problems suddenly become opportunities to work together, not to argue or fight again, not to bring up old stuff and talk it out again. If you find yourself arguing a lot in your dating relationship, it's a red flag, not an orange, kind of like double red, don't go in the water. Conversations in dating should be easy. They should be fun. You should look forward to them. If you find yourself, I mean, 90% or more should be fun. And if you find yourself arguing a lot, I just want to warn you, sister, warn you, brother, that man, either this person is just not right for you or you're not pursuing this relationship in a godly way because the dating should be easy and light, not heavy and fighting. Now, verse 20 through 26, Jesus, or James takes these same commands, these same commands of slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger, and he takes them kind of on a deep dive off the cliff. First, there's kind of this broad, this is what Christians should do. Then he says, and this is how Christians should relate to the word of God itself. How do you change your heart? How do you become this person who does relationships differently? Well, it says you need to be quick to listen to the word, quick to uh, slow to anger with the word, and quick to put yourself under the word's authority. Look with me at verse 20. It says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the meekness of the implanted word. Same kind of word of truth concept. Talk about the gospel. Talk about all of scripture, which is able to save your soul. See, God's word is a word that works. So we receive the word in humility. Anger will not make you new spiritually, and anger will not make you godly. If you come to the Bible angry, you're going to pick up scripture and use it as a club or weapon to hit your enemies. That's how you get a Westboro Baptist on the news for years and years. They take scripture and use it as a club to beat everyone they already hate. You come to the Bible, not angry, but in humility, and you will be healed by God who loves you. We come to the word not saying we're right and looking for places to see how right we are, but we come to the Bible says we're broken and wrong and we need your help, God. Will you change me from the inside out? Therefore, we must put away all wickedness and not try to use religion or use the Bible as another way to continue on in our wickedness. You can be religious and wicked. It can happen. But rather in meekness and humility, we see our great need for this implanted word. We see a need for the word to literally be planted in the garden of our heart to start a new thing to come out of us. It's a wonderful imagery, and that's exactly what he means, that the seed of the gospel would go somewhere, and in your heart, new things would start to come out. And this is the gospel, that Jesus lived for us, died for our sins, and rose again to save us so that this word could act actually work. See us, we don't identify our words with ourselves that closely. Why? Because we exaggerate, we lie, we say dumb things. But God identifies closely with his word, so closely that Jesus can say he is the word. 
Why? Because God is perfect and everything he says is absolutely perfect. So to disobey God's word is always to disobey God. To obey God's word is to always obey God. See, that's the magic of this God who says, please, we're in relationship. Take my word seriously. It's this living word that works. It can be implanted in your souls and make you new from the inside out. See, the posture of this world, our natural posture, I see it in in my toddler here. We think fighting for ourselves, anger, I want, I want. That's how we get things. That's how we get out of troubles in our life. And we do the same thing as we grow up and we live in an I want mindset. Instead, God is teaching us that he's the one who fought for us and he didn't throw any punches. Instead, he took all the wrath for us. He said, I'm going to teach you a new way to live that's not about your anger, but about your humility saying, I need God. It's not about what I want. It's about my truest need is for a God who loves me and can save me all the way down. The good news of the gospel, the man Jesus Christ who lives again can plant the gospel in the garden of your heart today. So first we receive this word in humility instead of anger, but then we obey the word with sincerity. Look with me at verses 22 through 25. It says, be doers of the word. I know we don't use that word very much in our culture, but it's so descriptive. Just do it. Do the word. Be a doer of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what it looks like. Church, it is by grace that we are saved through faith. But that faith is proven genuine when grace has its effect. See, grace comes and when grace comes, it grows you. It just happens. You have a new life. You live a different life because grace changes us and it changes with us that we want to change. That's what grace is. It's the power of God at work in your life. So we do the word. We don't just hear about Jesus. We obey Jesus. That's genuine faith. That's when you know it's real. That's when you know things are happening in your life is when you hear Jesus's words, you say, man, even if it hurts, I want to obey. Even if I need to repent first, I want to obey. Even if I don't even know what you mean, Jesus, I want to go find out so then I can go obey. In verse 23, James compares the word of God to a mirror. And the idea is this, that you would look into a mirror intently. Anyone have like a hundred light bulbs over their mirror? And they're way too bright. It, it was so harsh as a teenager. And you're just like, oh, it's getting worse. Like that, are they putting new bulbs in here? You know, it's, it's just so intense on the face. And you look into your face and you see all the blemishes. And you see the ketchup that's always on my shirt consistently. Thank you, Elena, for being kind and humble to put up with me. It's my number one pet peeve, guys. I hate having things on my shirt and it's always on my shirt. But you look into the mirror and you see your teeth, and you see broccoli in your teeth. And James is saying it would be like staring into a mirror, seeing the broccoli, and just going, all right, and just going back to the party. He's saying it's ridiculous that someone would claim to be all about Jesus, to be all about the kingdom, to be all about God, and not take the broccoli out of their teeth. 
that when we look at the word, it shows us our need. It shows us the broccoli. It shows us the sin. It shows us commands we need to do, that we need to wash our face and that we would do it or else we're just ridiculous, that there's no substance to us. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter even that we hear. If we won't do it, if we won't trust the mirror, the word of God, if we won't trust and see the need that it's showing us, then we're missing the point. We look into scripture and it shows us ourselves. And when we see ourselves, we see a person that needs Jesus. Not just lost people, but all people. You don't receive Jesus and start needing him less. You receive Jesus and start needing him more as he shows you all the ways we fall short. But instead of beating us up, he's picking us up to say, come on, let's go. We can do this and I'll carry you all the way home. Listen how the word of God describes this mirror of God's words. It's in Hebrews 4. It says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and in marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. The thoughts and intentions of your heart, church, they're not hidden to God. He knows. And that can terrify us, but it also should draw us to God who already knows the worst and still loves us the best. He doesn't die for people getting it right. He dies for us ill-deserving people. Verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Church, if you come to the Bible to believe, if you come to the Bible with faith, sooner rather than later, you will see yourself truly. You will see your sin truly but you'll also see a great Savior clearly. You will never need Jesus until you see your need for Jesus. You will always miss Jesus if he's a theoretical Savior for your theoretical sin. But Jesus becomes real to you when you see you really have sin, you really have need, and God's grace is that good. He doesn't lead us to see our sin and then leave us alone. But instead, God is so eager to plant the word of truth that he would die to make a way possible for you and I. I urge you to read the Bible if you don't yet believe. Start in John, come talk to me, I'll find you a buddy, and off to the races we go, friend. And I believe God will reveal himself to you absolutely if you read his word looking for faith. I urge you, if you do believe, read your Bible. And let's do what it says and ask for help where it's hard and difficult to understand. Church, I just want to advise you, think of this as like a minimum. Spend 15 minutes with God in the Bible each day. You can break it up this easy. Spend five minutes in the Word. Read a chapter or two of the Bible. Spend five minutes in silence thinking about it. And you'll join all the saints of all history. That's what they did. Read the Bible. They meditate on what was preached on Sunday. They meditate on what was talked about at the last meeting before Bibles were printed. They meditated on the parts that they scratched down. They sat with the word. They sat in silence. And then they prayed that word and everything else on their mind and heart. In about 15 minutes, you can have a powerful experience of God every day. 
couple that with every Sunday hearing the Bible taught. We'll probably cover a dozen books in two years. Couple that with singing five to seven songs every Sunday. Think about that. It's like 600 times you're going to sing scriptural songs in a two-year period. Every week, the liturgy is written based on a chapter of the Bible. And I have even mentioned things like discipleship and serving and community group, places where things can press easier and deeper into you. Church, you're just not alone. God's vision for the scriptures is that we would do the word together and it would go deeper together. It's not, you're not a monk. You're not alone in the desert, but rather we're together and we have a gracious Lord to us. We can't be doers of the word unless we know what it says. And we can be encouraged day by day together. So we must learn the word, not assume it, because our culture is always selling us another version of the good life. The good life is this house. The good life is this sort of spouse. The good life looks like this kind of Labrador. The good life looks like this. The good life makes X income when you turn 30 and X income when you turn 40. The good life looks like these kind of clothes or these kind of friends or these kind of whatever. And Jesus, in this next verse, is saying there is only one good life. There is only one way to God. That Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And verse 25 speaks to the good life with Jesus and gives you a promise from God that you can bank your entire life on. Look with me at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, speaking of the whole scriptures here, the law of liberty, remember, The law of God, the word of God, isn't to hold you back, but actually to set you free to go follow Jesus when you never could before. The law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer that forgets, but doer he acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Sin enslaves you, church. It becomes your master and weighs you down with heavy demands and burdens, consequences you never thought you'd have. But scripture sets you free to follow master Jesus, whose yoke is easy and burden is light. And I want to draw attention to two things. First, look at the word persevere. It's telling us to persevere in the word, stay in the word, meaning to meditate, to think, to remain, to discuss. And it's the same teaching and word choice that Jesus uses in John 15 when he says, abide with me. There's this sense that we're not just supposed to hear it quickly, but we're supposed to sit and meditate on it. If you're reading the Psalms, you hear meditate on the law day and night, meditate on the scriptures day and night. I had a conversation with a friend that the work of a king in Israel was to sit and meditate on the scriptures day and night, that that is the work of kings, my friend. That is the most important thing we could do. And if it says hard things, don't run away, but remain. And ask God to grow your understanding. That's the first thing. And the second thing is the promise. It says, look, you will be blessed to obey, to do the word, and you'll be blessed. And blessed is the same word that Jesus teaches with on the Sermon on the Mount, with the famous, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are these different things. And blessed, when we think blessed, we think We get what we want relationally. It's like a sunny day. Everyone has commented on the weather. It's great weather. We think we're blessed or maybe getting a free burrito. That's not the blessing that we're talking about here. 
The blessing that God is talking about throughout the Bible means to flourish as a human should in loving relationship with God. It's better than a million burritos. That God's vision for your life is that you would obey his word and you would be blessed in life with God as it was meant to be and richer than Adam experienced before sin in the garden. A kind of life that in a broken world full of suffering, that you could still flourish. Something that the world has no comprehension of, of how that could be possible. That God would be with you, and he would be in you, and he'd provide everything you need to accomplish his will in your life. That's a blessed life. And when we obey the Lord, we experience the blessing of life with God and the opportunity to really flourish. The world says flourishing is this. The good life is this. The good life is life with Jesus. And that's the deepest life there is. This is the way Jesus lived. If you're like, well, who lived this way? Look at Jesus's life. He's both teaching these things and living them out before us. And it's the life Jesus is inviting you to, to flourish with God. And so we receive the word in humility. We obey it sincerely. And then finally, we speak under the word's authority. We speak under the word's authority. I think Twitter and social media has made our words cheap. And we're like, oh, you know, we just say whatever we want. Think about differently. That the word you speak is your public self to others. What you say matters before God and man and woman. It matters. Look at this. Look at verse 26 of me. It says, anyone who thinks he or she is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. James is going to give us a whole chapter on speaking and taming the tongue in chapter 3, but I want you just to hear this powerful verse as it is, that if we claim to follow Jesus, yet our words, our public expression of ourself, doesn't follow Jesus' example, we can be sure that we might not follow Jesus. It's that simple of a verse, that if we say we follow Jesus, but the things that come out of our mouth don't seem to follow Jesus' example, we shouldn't be so sure we follow Jesus. And the Bible teaches this over and over and over, that the content of your speech often determines the direction of your life. The content of your speech often determines the direction of your life. If you're dating someone, and it kind of is painful to listen to the things they say, whether it's obscenities or coarse joking or, or things that just make you cringe, you can be pretty confident that's, that's where the compass arrow is going. In the same way, if speaking with someone is pleasant and kind and it's thoughtful and they're, they're slow to anger, they're slow to speak, they're quick to listen, and their words are kind of seasoned with salt, and you can be, you know, that's a good sign that the compass arrow is pointing somewhere positive. We think our speech doesn't matter, and the Bible's consistent message is wrong. It does, and it tells you an awful lot about a person. I'll let James 3 speak deeper here, but I want to leave you with the idea that Paul gives the Colossians in chapter 4. It says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Christian. This is about evangelism, but this is about all of life too. If you wonder how I should say something, what would a gracious person say? 
Sometimes it's easier to put yourself in like the passenger seat of your own conversation and go, hey, what would a great follower of Jesus say here? Think about it and then say that. What would a gracious person say? Would my words be seasoned, flavored with salt like my Savior? It doesn't mean you have to be eloquent. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect in your speech. You can be stumbling in your words. But what would it be like that all the words out of your mouth were just gracious, even when you were upset, even when you did have to say hard things, that you'd rather be clumsy and gracious than smooth and mean? It's a countercultural value, but it's a beautiful thing when God's people trust him to act this way. And see, as God's word works in us, it's not just for personal growth. It's for the good of others. God's people don't just grow personally and look like Jesus. They act, and they act like Jesus. Verse 27 says this, religion that's pure and undefiled. If the last religion that didn't hold its tongue was worthless, this is a worthwhile religion. Before God the Father is this, to visit visit orphans and widows in their affliction and their need, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And it may seem strange to throw some huge command at the end section of talking about our conversations and talking about relating to God's word, but it's only strange if we've ignored God's heart for the vulnerable throughout the entirety of scriptures. I want to read a couple passages to us to get an idea of what God cares about, what his heart beats for. And there's enough. If you want to close your eyes, do that. But listen to this God consistently talking about vulnerable people, especially orphans and widows. Exodus 22, 22. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Deuteronomy 14, 28, 29. At the end of every three years, you shall bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in towns so that the Levites and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Job 31, if I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of a widow grow weary, then let my arm fall off my shoulder. Let it be broken off at the joint. Psalm 68.5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God holy in his dwelling. Psalm 82.3, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Psalm 146, the Lord watches over the foreign and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Isaiah 1, learn to do right, Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Isaiah one twenty three. your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribed and chased after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before him. It's just a sample throughout the Old Testament, of what it says in the New Testament would support the very same. That God's heartbeat is for the vulnerable and against those 
who ignore the needy. And if we will receive God's word in humility and obey it sincerely and learn to use our tongues for God's purposes, then our heart will beat for the vulnerable too. Christian, we are responsible for everyone more vulnerable than us in the whole world, starting on your street and just expanding outward. Particularly our local and then global orphan and widow situations, folks who don't have anyone else. And the world has changed in many ways. We should be thankful our country has more systems and safety nets um, that are very different from the ancient world. But the call and command of scripture still rings out. There's great need in foster care. There's great need for kids who need adoption. There's great need in caring for our own family advanced in age. There's great need in making space for the mentally ill in your life. There's great need for making space for those in prison, making space for those with special needs or disabilities, choosing to make margin in your own profession for others, people lower on the chain of command, choosing to remember the poor and how you work, choosing to remember the unborn who cannot fight for themselves, choosing to focus your work to care for those who need care, or maybe those who receive less care, choosing to give generously, choosing to set aside your life to be about us in order to care for the vulnerable. Church, this has always been the place for the people of God to step up and step in. And it's a place that God's heart is always beating. And the invitation always remains of what part will you play in caring for the vulnerable? Please ask the Ebersolds about fostering and adopting. Please ask the Wood family about adopting and their current adoption process. Please ask Houston Walker about his work in Birmingham with special needs youth. Come ask me. I would love to talk. There are three widows within walking distance of my home. The needs are closer and more around than you think, and globally they stretch far and wide. And here's the turn. When you care for a vulnerable person, you don't leave feeling great about yourself and what great good deeds you did. When the Christian cares for a vulnerable person, they become aware of how vulnerable they are. That we're the orphan that God has adopted by his grace into, our fam- into his family. When we were helpless in need, it's God who sought us, not the other way around. He's the one who gives grace to needy people. When you care for a widow, suddenly you see we're the one who longs for love and endures a hard world. And it's Christ who marries us to himself, takes us, cares for us, and fulfills the longings of our heart. Church, We as a needy people care for people in need. We don't come triumphant, but we come cared for by our God. As Corinthians teaches us, the God of all comfort comforts us that we may comfort also others also. Look at verse 27 again with me. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And here's the interesting part. The and here is put for our benefit. It's not actually there. It's to make it read easier for us. And if you take the and out and you keep this as just one big idea, that when Christians are visiting orphans, it doesn't mean literally visit them. It means to care for them and address their need and be present to them and be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger and rather be humble and sit with people. When we are the people who are visiting orphans and widows in their affliction, we keep ourselves from being stained by the world. That these two ideas go together. That when you have your heart beat with God's heart and not for the world's ever-shifting values, you won't be stained, church. Our goal isn't just avoiding worldliness, but pursuing godliness. And worldliness loses its flair and flavor. That it's okay to sacrifice your money, your life, your time, to spend time with people in need, whether they're in need of the gospel or in need of physical needs. To be like Christ is to run to those needs as a needy person yourself. We can be slow to anger and humbly receive the word of God. We can be in Christ the people who's quick to listen to the word and do it. In Christ, we can be a people who's slow to speak about our wants, but rather let our heart beat with God's heart. You can have a new heart today that responds to God's word like this, but the only way to get it isn't trying harder but it's turning to Jesus Christ to see your sin, turn from it and put all your hope, all your faith, all your belief in the risen Lord Jesus, Lord of the universe, Christ of God, the only Messiah. Church, let us be those who listen to the word and obey. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.